Welcome to Therapists Uncensored, a podcast where therapists freely speak their minds about real-life matters. Hey there. Welcome to Therapists Uncensored. And it is so great to finally be able to say that because you have found the very first episode of our new podcast. By our, I mean Patty Allwell, Dr. Ann Kelly, and myself, Sue Marriott. And the, the gist is going to be that we will be having conversations among ourselves. We're therapists from Austin, Texas, and with guests as well, where that we step out and we speak freely and candidly on life, love, sex, and, you know, just topics that really matter to many of us. What makes this particularly interesting, we think, is that we are going to root these conversations in attachment and relational science. But we're going to have a lot of fun bringing you the need to know of how to improve your relationships with others, with people that you want to be close to, and also how to understand yourself more deeply um, and, you know, sort of understand what makes you tick. So today's episode is going to be on couples communication. And by couples, we mean any important relationship, you know, your boss, your parent, your child, and of course, whatever variety of romantic relationship you find yourself in. So sit back, take a listen, and let us know what you think. Um, we would really love to hear I from you. I love working with couples. It's one of the favorite things I do. I mean, I love being a psychologist, but I love working with couples. And I would say, the thing that goes to my mind is the most interesting commonality I find is that when people decide they want to work on the relationship, one of the first things I hear is, we're, ha- we're struggling with communication. Can you help me with communication? And when I hear that, what I really hear is that what they're struggling with is connection. That they're asking, could you help us please find a deeper connection? Yeah, that makes sense. And it makes sense that one of the reasons they're saying is it's communication is because I think there's, there's some, I really find there's these very common misperceptions that we maintain as humans and especially in relationships that... Um, that really center on the idea with these misperceptions that if we can improve our communications and things will be better. So I want to talk about, I want us to talk about it because we've talked about it before about what those misperceptions are and why I think that that gets us kind of stuck in our relationships. Right. I mean, that particularly makes sense in that, you know, when we don't quite know what's wrong, um, but we know something's a little bit off, that that word is a good word to kind of... Right. And that... Regardless of the misperceptions, what it looks like is they're either fighting a lot or they're not talking. Right. So it has to do with community. That's the outward manifestation. Good point, Patty. It's an outward manifestation. We're either fighting too much or particular topics always make us fight or we're not talking and we're not communicating enough. Either way, it sounds... It, the it's outward, a communication it's issue. A communication <laughs> issue, exactly. <laughs> and and so, but the other thing I also find is it's, it's and I've been there, it's often, you know, if you could just please... Um, help my change my partner <laughs> if I could come to you and I can tell you right, it's yeah, really nice. really hard and you can change my partner and he or she understands better what the problem is and they yeah. can change we're gonna all feel much better right. and uh, that's very human misperception of <laughs> couples working okay so. you're, you're disappointing a whole lot of people right now. <laughs> <laughs> so Anne you can't fix people's partners <laughs> <laughs> Now we, now we need the sound effect that goes, nee, nee, nee. <laughs> Well, you know, so let's talk about the misperceptions. One I see is that 
you know, our, and we'll be talking a lot about our bodies and our minds and how they relate in our relationships. And one of the misperceptions that we start with is that we're supposed to feel good. And that, you know, when we fall in love and we have our partnership and we feel really, really good and it feels so nice and we feel so safe and so trusting and we can tell our partner everything and it's so nice. And so we believe we're supposed to feel good. So when something happens out in the world, our, namely our partner does something and all of a sudden we don't feel good, we feel angry or hurt or whatever, we start to feel mistreated. We think, okay, something's wrong in the outside world because I'm feeling bad. And so the goal is to fix the outside world so that then I feel good. So one of the misperceptions is we're not supposed to have uncomfortable feelings. We're not supposed to suffer. We're not supposed to suffer. We're not supposed to feel things. Right. Well, you know, and I think one of the things people don't realize is if you can't, if you don't have the bandwidth to feel the bad, you don't have the bandwidth to feel the good. That you can't turn off half of your emotional life and expect the other part to be rich and whole. Exactly. That's a really good way that you're saying it because, and so it's the idea that we can understand that the bad is actually really, it can be a wealth of information. Your partner feeling bad or upset at you could actually be a wealth of information that's super important to listen to rather than the goal being to obliterate the bad in me or the behavior in our partner. Mm-hmm. I think the, the second misperception that I think really kind of gets us stuck, or we've already touched on a little bit, is that if I'm feeling bad, the goal is to tell the other person you're doing this, please stop it. And so the misperception, I think, or the, uh, the common mistake, I'll just call it a mistake, is that if I'm feeling bad, the goal is to change the outside world so that then I feel better. And we, right. kind, of, uh, we kind of fall into Right, that. which kind of implies also that it's the outside world's fault, right? Yeah. If I'm feeling bad, you certainly must have done something to me <laughs> to, to make me feel this bad. <laughs> you're not texting me enough. You're, you know, neglecting me or you're, or you're too needy and that's, you're making me feel crowded. It's all your fault. Well, you know, it's, it's really interesting because Gottman spends, John Gottman, who's done a lot of research on couples, spends a lot of time talking about criticism and criticism is putting the blame for whatever you're feeling in your partner and then expecting your partner to be open and sympathetic and listen to how horrible they are. Exactly. <laughs> and, and why you, aren't you listening? And, and it usually doesn't work that way. It's kind of funny that way, isn't it? It's so true. Right, and actually, if you don't, like, um, what I'm remembering about Gottman, which this is the fun part of having it as a discussion, is that he actually encourages, if I'm remembering right, criticism. No. Complaining. Complaining. You're right. You're right. You're right. That's the complaining. He, he wants you to complain. Yes. That's right. Um, because then you're giving a little bit of a live update of how you're doing and what's happening. Right. So but I, you're, you're totally right. So I, I you're you're me. basically saying, I feel bad. You're getting your you know emotional communication out to your partner, but you're not saying, and you're to blame for it. That's right. Yeah. No. No. Totally. Totally get it. Well, that kind of leads into the kind of the the mistake or the misperception that we're talking about. In the last one, is that we really have the false model. Actually, it's a false belief that um, understanding leads to change, and and I think I see that as a real hiccup for couples and how it can create a really chronic uh, 
hairball, if you will. I've told you a million times that this is really upsetting to me, and yet you keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And because you keep doing it, people interpret that as they're not being heard, they're not being understood, or their partner doesn't care. And if, if understanding really leads to change, just by the fact we hear the knowledge, sometimes it can, but many times we can't change the deepest part of our partner, it, it would be actually, truthfully, be a scary world. If every time I picked up a book and got a good insight, I became a different person, that would be a scary thing. And uh, people can't change like that. They can hear, they can try, but we kind of are who we are. And if we believe understanding leads to change, then we can be perpetually frustrated and disappointed in our relationship. Yeah, I mean, this totally gets into some stuff that we're going to get into in later episodes about, you know, that we can understand something on a cognitive level. Like, I can understand that when my tone of voice gets to a certain pitch or my rate of speech goes quickly that, you know, you get frightened or something like that. I can understand that, but that doesn't mean that it's going to change my tone of voice or, like, that so much is operating outside and beneath that very conscious, concrete level of awareness. Absolutely. So, um... Uh, which which moves us into things around uh, the neurobiology part and the brain and, and regulate and, and being able to respond to one another from a body-to-body stance. So it's much less about what we're saying to one another, which is exactly what you're saying, which is, yeah, I can tell you a thousand times not to be late, for example. Um, don't be late, don't be late, then I feel unloved and I feel like you don't care and this and that. And um, then it's not only the injury of you being late, but it's the injury of you not listening to me. And you're not caring about me because obviously if you cared, you would be on yeah, time. Yeah, if you knew that it was important to me right. for you not to be late. Right. And then you're still late. That obviously means you don't care about me. And I think it's so human and easy to make those assumptions. Exactly. And yet I think, and we do that. And in the beginning of a relationship, we can say, oh, you don't want me to be late. Okay, no problem. And guess what? I won't be late in the beginning of the relationship. But as it goes on, those parts that are uniquely me that might contribute to those parts that are going to be frequently late, which is kind of a true issue for me. Let's just put it out there. <laughs> the perfect one to, to throw out That's there. That's not why I picked it. Uh, but, but, but the truth is there's, there's dynamics inside me that probably contribute to that or deeper, bigger part of me. So just the intellectual understanding, while I'm in my best behavior, I could probably modify that. But as I relax and become more of who I am, then those aspects of me that might be hard in a relationship are going to really come to fruition. And just the understanding is not necessarily going to lead to absolute change. Well, you know, and this brings me back to John Gottman, who um, has done a lot of research on this. And one of the things he says is that almost 80% of the stuff that couples argue about is unresolvable. You know, it's their personality, it's their belief system, you know, um, if I was raised Catholic and you were raised Jewish and we argue about how to raise the kids, um, that's, someone is going to lose that argument, right? There's, you're both not going to be happy. So it's how you resolve or how you deal with the unresolvable issues. So if it was as simple as we're going to agree on everything, well, then we just keep arguing, right? But that's not where it's going to go. You know, I'm really, it's a good point. I'm really glad that you brought that up because one of the things I think, again, when I talk about communication, one of the things that we can try to do in our relationship is, okay, so if it's how we talk, then let's just talk nicer. 
because so the answer could be to all the listeners out there what I'm asking you to what we're asking you to do is to be really kind and caring and giving every time you approach your partner no matter how you're feeling okay why does that make me want to vomit There's no reality. Oh, okay, good. Okay, okay, okay. So, so we could come in and say, okay, let me tell you how to talk to your partner nicer and say, you know, I really feel this. Oh, so active listening doesn't work? Is that what you're <laughs> no, saying? No, I'm not saying that. Active listening, good. <laughs> Except that the truth is it has to be authentic. I, th- I, th- I think it's a bunch of bunk. You think it's active listening? <laughs> right, because you can do it when you're in a training setting. Right, exactly. But you get upset and it's out the window. If somebody's upset with you, you're not going, I see that you're... Neck is bulging. I mean, I mean, like you just, it's out the window once you get dysregulated. And we'll talk much more about that in, in the brain science, but that's right. so true. And then people are so hard on themselves or so hard on their partner right. when, when they're not doing it in a way that feels nice and kind. And ref- what we mean by reflective listening is I hear what you're saying and this is how it makes me feel. And we would love to <laughs> ideally do that. That sounds good. However, I do want to talk in this episode about how to help you get there in a more authentic way because there is a way to do it right but i also think that if you're if what you're doing is slowly and carefully and kindly telling your partner what's wrong with them exactly they are not going to be able to stay in a place where they can hear that take it in no because they're being criticized and so they're going to get dysregulated so i think one of the big issues True. that we're going to come back to over and over is emotional regulation right how how we lose it how we get it back and steps we can do to to sort of regulate ourselves and our partners that's so. a really good point and, and what you're saying is is even if i give the soft reflective approach what i really feel you're doing is being a jerk i mean if you, if you know if you're saying it really soft and sweet that doesn't matter. Your partner then is going to get dysregulated. And then you can go, what do you mean? I was just telling you how I feel. Right? Exactly. And I can hear that. But I'm just telling you how I feel. And look how dysregulated. And I'm saying it nice and you're on the ceiling. If your partner's on the ceiling, we gotta, uh, we've got to really look and understand why that is. And, um, one, and of, one of the things I think is really important is to help people understand the signs of moving towards dysregulation so they can stop, pause, before they're on the ceiling. Oh, absolutely. Because once they're on the ceiling, you know, you got like maybe an hour to recover biologically, to get your pulse rate down, to get your blood pressure down. Exactly. So if if you're already on the ceiling, well, we've kind of missed that opportunity a little bit. That's a good point. And it's also if we get on the ceiling... Yes, it, it, we really missed the opportunity. So let's talk about one of the reasons. I mean, that's why we started with the misperceptions, because oftentimes it's those misperceptions that actually lead to us going to the ceiling. If we really believe, A, we shouldn't feel bad, then we feel bad. We're already angry and looking and feeling blaming. Number two, if we really think our feeling bad is because our partner's doing something and we're not being self-reflective, and then if we really think the source of feeling better is outside of ourselves, all three of those same misperceptions actually make us feel really helpless. Yeah. And it gives our power to our partner, and our partner doesn't want that power. So I have a thought, which is that here's where reflective listening would come in, would be if we're, we're listening more closely to ourselves. Exactly. Right? That if we're like, okay, I'm upset, I'm this, I'm that. Like if we're, if we're curious and open to ourselves that then we might be able to actually do a real soft startup 
um, and not just go through the motions of a soft startup, which are not going to work in a relationship. Exactly. I think I, I love how you're putting it that way. It being the reflective, and so one of the ways we'll put that in, in actuality, one of the things is, um, let's just go with the late part. Um, it, if we really own our own emotional state instead of decide that it belongs to other people, then we feel ourselves getting irritated. We're sitting there waiting for our spouse and they're late. It, <laughs> right, because otherwise I'm not aware of my impatience. I'm only aware of your lateness. Yes, and I exactly. So if I'm that's feeling, a much more comfortable state. I don't know. I don't know. I, this is taking a turn for the worse. <laughs> <laughs> this is so. It's not it's such a good point because not only are we aware of our partner's lateness. We kind of, people underestimate how much we like to be mad. I mean, we, when you're pissed at your partner, what do you feel? Instead of feeling We're sitting, not vulnerable. We're not vulnerable. We're not sitting here having to wait. Now we feel self-righteous and a little <laughs> bit superior. And isn't that a lot more What's the problem with that? Like, <laughs> so if you're... Uh, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. There's a problem with that. Okay. It took me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Let's stop and think about that. So if you're sitting there and you're, you're irritable and you're late, if you go, what is it about this being late? Wait, maybe we need to break that down a little bit more. <laughs> because, <laughs> because seriously, like people spend a lot of time in externalization yes. and self-righteousness. Tell me what externalization means. Like that the problem is in the world. Okay. I feel bad. Who caused it? What caused right. it? Right. Like you didn't call me back. And you did this, and I can't believe you called it blah, 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 right? Like, patty, 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 patty. And um, I beg your pardon. <laughs> <laughs> right, and now you're defensive. So right. I've, I've just thrown a, a hardball at you instead of a softball, and now we're off to the races. But um, so why is that, like, I, I mean, I mean this. Like, if we, if we really think about it, I think there's a large, I mean, there's some reason that we sit in that and that mm-hmm. we're more comfortable in that. I mean, I was kind of joking, but I actually can kind of feel the familiarity and like a, a comfort in. Um, um, well, what's wrong with being right? Righteous, right? What's wrong it's, with being it's, righteous? It's fine being the, the righteousness. When we get righteous and we approach our partner with righteousness, it rarely to never is gonna lead to an open-hearted listening oh that's what we're here for is uh closeness and communication (laughs) i'm getting it now that's right (laughs) openness communication and yes what is the open-heartedness exactly like if we're gonna if we sit there in self-righteousness we sit there in a superior state and guess what the 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 worst case scenario is that we're wrong actually the best case scenario is that we're wrong the worst case scenario if we're right like if our partner really is always late and we mix that with self-righteousness well good luck with them being open and reflective because now because they feel vulnerable and called out because we've gotten Mm -hmm. self-righteous and you know through Brene Brown most of us are very familiar with the idea of shame Mm -hmm. so once we get self-righteous we're going to trigger a sense of shame in our partner. And right. that shame in and of itself is going to close up shop. And so if we think we're right and then our partner's defensive, wow, now we have a lot of ammunition for feeling mistreated. So not only mistreated because you're late, we're mistreated because you won't acknowledge it, take responsibility, all those things. And right. I think that a lot when people are trying to work out, quote, communication. Right. right. And we- once you shame someone, shame is a de-resourcing emotion. Absolutely. It's an, it's an emotion that when your partner's feeling it, they really can't connect with you. They can't be 
rational about what's going on, it really takes them away from you. So it's not your responsibility how they feel, but you certainly don't want to contribute to moving them into shame. No, this response, the responsibility, actually, if we really own the responsibility of how we feel, that's then, right. then that's the key. So, so I'm not going to pretend to go, okay, I am going to tell you how I feel about you being late, but inside I'm self-righteous. I don't care how you say it. Your partner's going to, we're animals. Your partner's going to pick up the self-righteousness. Totally. And I was joking about the, um, about the construction of the, I mean, the self-righteousness and the comfort about that. But really, there's a deeper point here about mm-hmm. that. This is an organized system. Mm-hmm. And you, you all were spelling out how it becomes then an organized system dyadic between two people people because um just how you described it i don't have to repeat it but that then now i have an organized system where that i don't have to worry about you getting too close i sort of want you close but not that close and that's something we can get into later but now i have recreated a system where that i'm actually not that close so even though i was kind of kidding about it earlier um there's a, a important point about like yeah then that that can be a sustaining system that is a very painful system in a couple Absolutely, and, and, and we do develop systems in couples that are really repetitive. Right. And I really like your point um, that you have said about getting back to owning our feelings and taking responsibility for, like, the opposite of externalizing, right? It would right. be sort of owning our part, and that if I'm feeling impatient about someone being late, like, just noticing what's the hurt, like, how's it particularly going to be better when they get here? <laughs> like. Um, or whatever, like my part, like even if sometimes what I tell people is like, even if your part is 2%, let's just say they're 98% wrong and you're, there's, there's find your 2% mm-hmm. and go with that because that's going to get us further than just looking at their 98%. And obviously I'm using those numbers to be, get buy-in, but surely there's at least 2% that we can find that is our part. And, um, and that, then we can grow that, and it's actually probably not 2%, right? It's actually, there's there's more to it than that. Right, and part of it could not even be that behavior that's happening right then. I mean, right. if your partner is always late every single time, it's going to be really hard to look at the 2% that's our fault. So let's take that, let's deconstruct that, because it's a really great, easy example. I could be sitting here over and over again, and my partner's late, and I've told him or her over and over again, that it's really hard on me to be kept waiting and it keeps happening. So if I own that and go, okay, I'm really irritated because my partner's late again and I've asked them or my mother's late again, whomever it might be, I don't want to restrict this only to romantic couples because we're talking about any relationships, let's be clear. Right. If if I'm sitting there going, okay, I'm so irritated because they're late, if I go, okay, if I just look for, quote, responsibility, like, it'd be really hard to find responsibility in that. So let's take it a step deeper into the language of security. Mm-hmm. And that is noticing, first of all, that I'm irritable and feeling impatient in short. And now, instead of focusing on my partner's mistakes, I'm focusing on my own emotions. And then I stop and think, why is it about my partner being late that's so upsetting to me? Right. Right? And I'm reflecting on it. And then I take another step and go, okay, what do I know about my partner? So that's another thing in the how-tos. If we have to give our partner um, credibility, mm-hmm. and that is the, the, the belief that everything that our partner does can be fixed is a really, not only misperception, it's a really powerfully painful misperception that leads to long-term disconnection um, because we're not accepting our partner. And so, in this example, if I could go one step deeper, 
what I like to talk to my couples about is that when we, when we are in any relationship, we get the head and the tail, we get the whole coin. And those elements of our partner that we love, the head is what I call them, that we love about them, that they're spontaneous, that they're caretaking, that they care about people all around them, that they're responsible, all of these things, we love that about them. Almost every time we find out that the coin of that, the tail of that, is the most, or difficult parts of them. And they're usually the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I could get self-righteous about my partner being late, but I could also stop and more reflectively go, okay, my partner is always late. But what is it about them that contributes to the lateness? And it and likely is that they're optimistic and they unrealistically you know, do their time. They're probably caring and they're taking care of five people before they leave the office. They, you know, if I could give them credibility and know, you know what, my partner's always late. So if I can adjust myself and be giving and be generous, and that's the art of generosity in a, in a true deep relationship, and by the time my partner arrives, it doesn't mean that I disappear. I'm not trying to suggest that we don't say, this is hard on me. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to suggest you just own every irritating quality of your partner. But how you discuss it has to do with self-reflection. So if I've owned it and I sit down, first of all, I might not be chopping their head off. And second of all, because I could calm myself down, but even if I'm irritated, if I own it instead of, as you were pointing out, um, Patty, earlier, instead of being critical and saying, you are always late, I'm sick of it, I've told you a thousand times, you don't care about me because you keep doing it, mm -hmm. which no matter what, you're gonna get defense and hurt. Um, I shouldn't say no matter what, but majority. But if we say, sweetie, I know, I need to let you know that I'm feeling irritable. So what I'm saying is I'm irritable instead of you screwed up. Mm -hmm. And I'm feeling really frustrated mm -hmm. because it's really important to me for you to be on time and you're late and we know that this is an ongoing thing and so I've got to figure out how to deal with this because I know this is an aspect of you and I get that it's an aspect of you, but it's also really hard on me. So how I like to term it with couples is about, it's about getting the dilemma between you. It's like, okay, it really is hard on me that you're late, but I also get you and that's really hard on you. Mm -hmm. What do we do about that? How do we work this out together? Mm -hmm. So I'm still bringing myself to the table. I'm not asking anybody to be a wuss and go, you know, I will never be upset. But if I've done a little bit of self-reflection instead of externalization and going, why is it that big of a deal? You know, in some cultures, being late is a fine thing. It's our culture that is, you know, really uh, our, our time is precious and, and it's a little self-righteous. So I guess it's just an example of being able to feel your own dysregulation, but also still bringing yourself to the cup, to your partner going, this is hard on me. How do we work this out together? Yeah. The, the other thing I think that is also important when you study your own response is we all come with baggage from our childhood and our families True. and oftentimes I see couples where they bring their baggage and the baggage fits sort of hand in glove and they're in a pattern and they can't figure out why they're in a repetitive pattern and then when you talk to them you know it turns out that well my mother was a real martyr and my and then you talk to the other partner and it's like well my mother was really critical and all of a sudden they're in this pattern where one is a martyr and one is critical and and they don't even know how they got there and it's sort of like recognizing some of this family baggage mm -hmm. and some of these historical patterns which involves self-reflection and yes. exactly mm -hmm. allows them to say oh i'm doing that thing mm -hmm. where i get really critical 
huh, or my partner is doing that thing where they get really, you know, they're sort of being a martyr. And you can sort of say, oh, this isn't personal. It's not what's happening today. This is historical stuff going on that Mm -hmm. they're just falling into this pattern. And so it gives you more choices. Because if you know it's not really about you, that it's historical, you might just have that little bit of space to have compassion or empathy or... Generosity. Yes. You know, as you say that, it reminds me of what we talked about a little bit earlier and that will continue in a future podcast. There's a lot of information out there. It's a beautiful book about the, the language of love. But one of the things you and the three of us like to talk about and what this whole podcast is about is the language of security. Knowing your partner's language of security is in your, and by the way, your own language of security is such an important part about being in a relationship because then you know why it's important. If I could say to my partner, the reason why you're being laid is so hard on me and I have some self-reflection, my partner has actually more motivation to meet me because they see why it's important. And so knowing your what threatens your partner, if you had a very critical, critical mother or a, a, a martyr, then you know what triggers your partner on a deeper level. And so it helps to know what threatens your partner yes. and what threatens you. And so knowing your partner's language of security, which we will talk much more about, can really make a difference in how you end up approaching in, in what we started this whole podcast out about having not just good communication, but deeper connection. Right. Because then you can really accept your partner's flaws much deeper when you really understand them. You have compassion for them rather than you're criticizing them. You get to still complain, but you're holding their value. That's beautiful. I love the heads and tails and um, sort of wrapping back around to the language of security and the, um, um, you know, your last example where it comes back to the, the, it goes back to a we instead of either that um, I'm supposed to accept the lateness or be righteous about that, you know, all these things that are just an internal process. It, you, it goes back into the interpersonal where it's, um, between us, between it's us, between it's between couple. us. But it's also like I began to imagine the other person caring mm-hmm. and like rushing. Mm-hmm. And even if they're still late, that like they, I exist in their mind. Mm-hmm. Even you know, um, and and why does it bother me that I'm that you know just just now there's this complexity. There's this complexity and this play in it. Well, age you might rush. You might rush for your partner not because you don't want to be criticized. No, no, that's what right, I'm saying. No, right. you because might you're rush. being held in mind. All of a sudden, your partner's rushing for you feels generous Absolutely. instead of trying to get it right. So often people totally. say, you know, I want to feel control of my partner's. Totally. It's like, no, now that I know this really hard on you, I'm rushing for you and it feels good yep. because I know you and I love you. And it's not now that I have to be an on-time person. It's I'm being on time because I know it's really hard on you, and now I get to feel good about being on time. That's right, right. That we're we're allowing mutual influence. Yes. I I also love that you brought up control because I think a lot of times when someone has a personality trait or a repetitive pattern, their partner feels like if I comply with what they want, I'm being controlled. Yes. And so if you can, if you can really understand mm-hmm. what the issue is from your partner's point of view, then you really can have that generosity. It doesn't feel like a matter of who's control. in charge. Who's in charge. I'm always being controlled by my partner's needs. And I think there's a lot of belief. It's sometimes very difficult in intimacy 
And uh, we could do a whole podcast on this, Patty, and that is there's a real belief in intimacy. How do you hold on to individuality mm-hmm. and stay connected without losing your own free will? Right. And I think sometimes people have a hard time getting relationships because they feel like they lose their free will by, the, by trying to listen to what their partner needs. And there's so many ways to, to hold on to yourself and your free will. Thanks for listening. And we will be talking a lot more about this topic and many more. So be sure to subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss anything. And check out our show notes at TherapistUncensored.com. Thanks. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly, Patty Alwell, and Sue Marriott. Cameron Lindsay edits the show.